Good, man. How are you? I'm good. Doing my thing. Practicing law in the real world and trying to <clears throat> consume all this content that comes into this space. A lot going on, man. Yeah, I was trying to read. I'm glad Bird and Alls broke a lot down. Your thread was nice about the uh, executive order. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on. And there's more and more like... Um, outside stuff talking NFTs like you get the I'm on a lot of emails about other cases and in, in other sectors and stuff like clippings and a lot of, of cases from entertainment or other sectors are now touching NFTs and crypto a lot more and you see a lot more advertisements and stuff like that like it's, I, I, it's really becoming more pervasive yeah, I don't think there's any denying that the underlying technology is going to be transformative, regardless of what marking conditions look like right now. Yeah, I think that's there's it's definitely going to exist, even if it's in its own kind of corner of the world. Um, a lot of cool things being built, and a lot of lawyers and other kind of professionals kind of taking heed. And noticing. What's up today on the agenda? I uh, invited Birdnalls. Hopefully he can make it on to break down this ripple motion for summary judgment that was filed. Seems to be yet another blow to the SEC. And uh, he did a pretty deep dive on it. So hopefully he can join us and talk. Ellie and Jeff are in the house. And uh, I don't know who else is going to jump in today. It is a busy Tuesday in the world, of course. What are you doing that's interesting, Janko? What's interesting? Nothing. I love our conversations. I like um, Ellie and others share some good stuff. Um, it's really research mode right now. Um, doing a lot with AI and trying to understand. First of all, I think it's it's has a lot of really cool applications but secondly it's like moving very 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 quickly it's it's tough to keep up with so i think you're going to see a lot of cool stuff from ai very quickly you're talking ai in the in the realm of art or ai in the realm of no. processing yeah um i don't know if you saw there was a tweet that a company we spoke with the the team um Text prompt to video, and then you can edit the video. So entertainment applications of an information kind of like you can create content, you can create graphics, you can create scripts, you can do a lot of searching and create profiles. There's just, I think the entertainment world is going to be kind of rocked by AI and and then like augmented reality at the same time. Yeah, man. The tech is moving fast and furious. All right. Before we uh, hand it over to Birdnalls to talk, welcome to all the lawyers who joined us. I'll give nice. the disclaimer. I'll give the disclaimer just in case we have any non-lawyers who tune in later. But welcome to Law Line with Carlo and Jenko, brought to you in conjunction with Rug Radio, where we discuss... The disclaimer a lot applies to, to lawyers as well. These sneaky True. lawyers will say that they, you know, that we were giving them legal advice. We'll give them a friendly reminder too then. (laughs) So we talk about new and emerging trends in Web3 law and NFT law, blockchain law, 
What we talk about should not be considered legal or financial advice. If you have a specific legal question, you should consult a lawyer privately, not on a recorded Twitter space, because this is a recorded space and we may rebroadcast it someday. So all of that being said, I pinned uh, what you shared, Birdnalls, which was sort of your overview of the Ripple case. I think everyone in the room right now knows what Ripple is and knows what the XRP ledger is and knows that the token was launched on that uh, software platform known as the XRP ledger. And that after it was launched, the SEC filed suit saying that the XRP token was released as an unregistered security. And they've been in a battle ever since that happened. I think XRP launched, what, in 2012, the ledger launched. So that's sort of the backstory. And now we've reached this point of a motion for summary judgment. I've looked at it, and they do a pretty harsh analysis that this does not fall under the investment contract, how we test under any application, either vertical or horizontal. And again, it's an allegation that the SEC is overreaching here. What are your, what are your thoughts on this motion? And welcome. Hey, Carlo. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks for having me as always. Thanks for hosting. What's up, man? Hey, guy. Hey, Ray. How's it going? Uh, yeah, there's a ton of back and forth. There's obviously this litigation has been going on for years to this point. Um, and John Deaton is, I think, probably the best one as far as the coverage of this goes on the day to day on what went on with all the uh, issues with the uh, privilege log issues that were going back and forth, uh, his attempt to, uh, to brief on lots of these issues on behalf of holders of this. So it, there's a ton that isn't discussed in the, in the briefing, but I'll try and keep my analysis kind of focused on the briefing itself and some background on that. So, and before you do, if, if everyone wouldn't mind retweeting the room and maybe we can draw in some of the non nerds in the space to join us, but thank you, Birdnalls. Yeah, 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 of course. So, um, I, I kind of I browse through the SEC's briefing, they kind of touch on different topics. So, the SEC is trying to cut off at the head primarily in their briefing that um, there wasn't prior warning, the due process uh, defense that we've kind of talked about on these spaces before on the the Ripple and the executives that are also being uh, sued by the SEC for the sales of the XRP, um, that they weren't entitled to due process because they didn't know the rules of the road at the time, essentially. Um, so that's what the SEC's briefing uh, is focused on. They haven't really dug too much into that. Um, Ripple's briefing, I thought, was really well done. I thought it was well written. And as some background, uh, securities is defined in the, in the Lanham Act and in the various securities law, and it's defined in different topics. So there's different, there's different buzzwords that people use for securities. Um, the thing we think of mostly are stock certificates, bonds, things like that. But there is a term in the definition of securities called investment contract. Um, and as explained in the Howey test, investment contract is supposed to be kind of this overarching term that's going to encompass everything that we think 
looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, but isn't necessarily a duck in the, in the form of securities. Um, so it's not something that's a stock certificate, but it's close enough that we want to make sure there's still regulation as far as disclosures and all the other things that, that run into securities issues. So that's where Howey Test comes along, and that's where um, the, the definition of investment contract really has its, has its value. So um, the first thing the SEC has to prove is that this, that whatever SE, that whatever Ripple sold falls under that definition of, of securities. And if it doesn't fall under investment contract, I don't know where it falls under because it's not a bond, it's not a stock, it's not anything else. So um, the Ripple case, they start off by making the argument that investment contract uh, at Wendy's, when this definition was created, which when you go back to basic legal principles, you go to the understanding of the words, the time they were enacted, and understanding of that um, uh, to find out what uh, congressional intent was in creating those words. Um, and they say investment contract come from what was at the time blue sky laws. It's kind of state securities laws before federal securities laws existed. And there's a overarching term for investment contract that is used in those in those uh, in those laws, which essentially requires one obviously contract just like any other contract offer acceptance meeting of the minds exchange of uh exchange of uh consideration which i i don't think ripple can argue that every single sale was a contract in some way shape or form there was a offer to sell xrp there was acceptance the people knew they were buying xrp um it, i mean it fits the definition of contract the issue is whether this falls into an investment contract and they say what separates a investment contract from a sale of a commodity like gold or like a car or like anything else you would sell. Um, obviously, everything you sell is to raise money um, for the business that's selling it. That's the whole point in selling it. But people sell commodities as well as investment contracts as well as everything else. So what's required is some kind of ongoing obligation that's with that sale. Um, and that if there isn't that obligation that exists, then there can no, there can't be an investment contract. So essentially, if if they if uh, Ripple had sold XRP um, and then just walked away, it wouldn't be good for their financial for their own personal financial bags because they're the biggest holder of it. But if they just walked away, would the holders of XRP? have any kind of like fiduciary duty claim or any other kind of claim for failure to develop or did they make any promises that they would develop that are that are now enforceable and they say no we didn't make any kind there's no obligation there's nothing that requires us to do anything someone else can come along and do the creation somebody like people do come along and do those creations and so because there's no obligation for continual uh, value add which is the example in Howie, um, that there's an obligation to continue to uh, harvest the orange orchard and sell them on behalf and all the other stuff, um, then there can't be an investment contract. Uh, so that's the main, that's their main argument for no investment contract. I thought it was well done. Um, I thought it was well written. I, I do think there's going to be issues that's going to come up with it they there's some bad case law that the sec has used in the past that, that even if there's not a investment contract there could be a scheme 
or uh, something that doesn't actually not, doesn't necessarily have to be an investment contract. It can also be a scheme or a uh, other use or any these other words that are used in Howie that other courts have come along to say that no, just because it's not a written contract doesn't mean it can't be a security. Um, I think they do a good job of distinguishing those. I think they say no; those are meant to just say just because you don't put it in writing um, doesn't mean you can get around securities laws by just doing things that aren't in writing. And the scheme language came from Howie and the fact that a purchase of an orange grove alone is not a security. A, uh, a service contract for someone to take care of that orange grove for you alone is not a security. But the scheme of combining those two is what turns these two otherwise non-security transactions into a security. Um, so that's what they say. That's where they kind of distinguish those other case law that deal with schemes or lack of contracts. So that's the first part. I thought they did a really good job of briefing that. Uh, they also talk about this common enterprise component, which apparently the SEC in their initial complaint made one allegation with respect to a common enterprise by XRP purchasers, which then midstream they had to change their theory and this is page 40 of their motion for summary judgment in a response to an interrogatory asking, identify the enterprises or ventures, if any, in which you contend XRP holders acquired a stake in by virtue of their purchase of XRP from defendants. And then the SEC responded. And apparently that's where they had to change their theory because their response was contends that XRP holders were invested in Ripple's efforts to create a use for and demand for XRP. XRP holders hoped to profit from a potential increase in the value of XRP based on Ripple's efforts to use, to create a use. So this is very strange because this is anticipating a future use and efforts targeted towards developing an, a quote unquote ecosystem that apparently didn't exist at the time of the launch. And the SEC, if I'm understanding this correctly, Bernals has not been able to point to exactly what that ecosystem is. Yeah, no, they, I mean, they do, they point to, they say that the ecosystem, the fact that other people can develop on that aren't, isn't, isn't nearly as important as the fact that really what we're depending on is Ripple and it's a hundred employees to, to do the, do the heavy lifting here. Like, yeah, there's other there's other holders that can anybody can it's a public blockchain anybody can can publish on it um but in the same way that anybody can create an app on like an apple app store but you need uh people are really depending on apple uh to be the one that runs the app store anybody can create things so that's that's where they go with that and they they do do analysis of the uh, various types of uh commonality that's required uh, for that. So there's, there's vertical commonality, which is essentially saying that um, the actions of the manager and the, uh, the benefit to the investor are tied together. Manager does well, investor does well. Manager does badly, investor does badly. Um, there's also things called horizontal commonality, which other investors do well, you do well. Um, other investors do badly, you do badly. That all goes into the common enterprise analysis and different circuits have different tests on what is a common enterprise and whether 
you have to require, and they go into this in the briefing, whether you have to require uh, broad vertical commonality or whether it's going to be strict meaning broad meaning that um that it's a it's a very it's a very large test on the the fact that if the manager does well the person does well is it's a lot more broad in and obviously in the broad vertical commonality than in uh in narrow vertical commonality strict i guess i should say vertical commonality um so they go into that and why the why the second circuit um, has rejected a, I forget whether they, I think they rejected strict vertical, uh, 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 vertical, uh, commonality. Um, oh no, they especially rejected broad vertical commonality and strict. They didn't, they didn't address in the major case in the second circuit, but, uh, they, the ripple argues that that's not even the case here because, the ripple follows the marketplace um, of ETH, Bitcoin, other crypto more than anything that the ripple developers business does. And then the rest of the motion seems to touch on the overseas components of the transactions and how those are not subject to SEC regulation, which sort of then ties into this recent complaint that we are aware was filed in a different action by the SEC where they're claiming that, um, nodes on a blockchain that have some significant overlap or connection to the United States generally make every transaction subject to SEC jurisdiction. Um, I wonder if that's going to be expanded now in response to this motion. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think everyone's kind of shocked that they made that claim there. And I, I, I don't, I don't know how much value it is digging into that claim because in that in that SEC case, the person was marketing um, without disclosing uh, his his uh, his interest in that whatever that coin was um, to U.S. citizens. They already have jurisdiction. They like that that little claim adding in the uh, and because these took place on the ETH blockchain and ETH are validated primarily in the U.S., then we have jurisdiction under that. That's a that's a throwaway, not necessary, inflammatory. Hey, maybe they'll just kick a bee's nest because right now everyone's kind of upset with Terra Luna and all this other stuff that's going on. That we'll we'll throw that in now and hope that hope that we can use it later on as some kind of presidential value. But I, I mean, I don't think it really. I don't think it really has any kind of real legal significance in that case because they don't need that as a jurisdictional hook. They already have a jurisdictional hook. So procedurally now, what does the SEC do in response to this? And when do you think we'll see a decision? So I, they still have like 45 days, I think. To, so I think you'll see dueling uh, responses, just like we saw. I think there was a, something that came in yesterday. Excellent. <clears throat> Recap, Bernals. I don't want to cut you off, but some there was some paper that I saw filed yesterday that allowed amicus briefs in December. So then I would think that there's going to be time after those to be decided. So maybe even January. Yeah, no, it's not. So there's going to be at least I think 45 days for them for each party to respond to each other's uh, summary judgment motions. Uh, after that, there'll be likely sir replies to both of those. Um, I would guess there's going to be after the responses, there'll be amicus briefing um, that's allowed. 
by by like I said, John Deaton, and I think there's already been others that SEC hasn't opposed um, to being able to brief on. So yeah, I don't think I think first quarter of next year would be would be kind of the earliest that we see an actual decision on this. What do you think uh, the broad implications of this would be if the SEC loses this case, considering how much time and attention has been invested in this as being really the, the kind of the touchstone argument for declaring fungible tokens to be securities? What do you think this does to future SEC enforcement actions if they lose this case? I mean, obviously, they, they have to do a, I think obviously they have to do a turnabout on how they're, how they're approaching all these cases. I think either this one or the library case, if they get a loss on either of them, library is more utility token. And when a utility token can be a security versus not a security, while this is more when it's used for fundraising purposes, whether that can uh, constitute a security by itself. Um, so uh, I'm actually, I, the reason I was a little bit late to this, I'm starting to write a, a blog post on kind of the similar to the Bahamas test on decentralization. Uh, I'm going to do a post that uh, talks about another test on whether something can be an investment contract when there's not ongoing obligation and everything else kind of looks more like a commodity, like you're selling gold. Um, so I'm, I'm writing that right now. But yeah, I think that either way, the SEC is going to say, if they win, they're going to say, haha, we are right and kind of can ramp up their enforcement. Um, if they lose, they can go to Congress and say, here's why we need these laws because we can't, we can't enforce these bad actors and all this other stuff. So I think there's a way you can spin it as the SEC either way. Um, but obviously, a, a win for either Ripple or for Library um, would provide at least some, not like it's binding because it's just not going to be binding in every single circuit, but some value in, in a decision that on, on when, when, what are the rules of the road? When, when you can do something as utility, when you can raise money with something, how you can raise money, all that kind of stuff. I think that there's going to be value either way, win or lose. Well, we, we know from, uh, we know from last week and nerding out on the hearings that, uh, Ginsler was pressed in, in the Senate hearing with respect to whether he viewed, um, the traditional tokens that we've always talked about, which is Bitcoin and Ethereum, the decentralized nature of them and how could they possibly be uh, investment contracts when they're, they're decentralized in nature. And he, he largely declined to take the bait and, and entertain that notion, which then caused a lot of clickbaity, uh, a lot of, a lot of sharing of, of, well, is ETH going to be regulated by the SEC as a security so there's definitely a threat uh, on the horizon. How, how much do you see this to be a realistic threat, especially when it comes to ETH, which appears to have, and, and Ira's in the house, and I'm sure he could, he could speak to this as well, ETH appears to be pretty decentralized and very far removed from being um, a common enterprise. Yeah, I mean, you have to start at the, at the fact that, he's, that uh, Gensler himself has said that Bitcoin and other tokens, plural, are not securities. 
Um, he wouldn't define what those other tokens are, um, but he said that Bitcoin and other tokens, plural, exist that are not securities. Um, and he wasn't, when he was pressed in the hearing, I think Toomey was the one probably that was that was sending him uh, all those questions, kind of the point of question on, all right, so when is it sufficiently decentralized? What Going back to the Hinneman speech. Um, when when do we on this on this uh, spectrum of decentralized versus centralized? When is something sufficiently decentralized um, to no longer be that hit that common enterprise kind of uh, efforts of others prong? Um, and he wouldn't provide a private answer on that. I, I think ETH is exceedingly unlikely uh, just because of how many. Uh, congressional members and lobbyists have ETH bags uh, are going to be the ones that is going to be hit. I think we've seen in the uh, in the uh, in the Senate uh, bill regarding commodities, CFTC oversight. They explicitly say Bitcoin and ETH. Those are the only two they main name are those are those are commodities. Um, I think that they've already everyone agrees Bitcoin is a commodity. There's some, there's some others that exist out there that are commodities. I think that ETH is going to be one that, even with the move to uh, proof of stake and all the Gensler statements on his him hawing saying, well, maybe not anymore, I don't think there's really any risk of ETH being considered a security at this point. Yeah, because it's funny. It almost it, it comes on the heels of ETH and its successful merge. And I can see people intimating that because the merge was so well coordinated and well executed and flawless, that that somehow makes it more uh, centralized than people think. I don't know that that goes very far, but you talk about that Hinman speech, which does tie back to this Ripple case, because that Hinman speech is what sort of blew this case wide open. And the, the Ripple team wanted access to the notes that went into preparing that speech because they wanted to look into the intent behind that claim and whether that more or less cut the knee or cut this, this lawsuit at the knees. And that's, that's more or less been hashed out. If it goes to trial, I guess that becomes relevant if this, if this summary judgment motion is denied. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I think that's my main gripe, I think, with this uh, briefing is that when they go, they put in terms of uh, commonality, but they essentially say there isn't a, there isn't a common enterprise, there isn't a, a efforts of others, because anybody can do anything on the, on the Ripple uh, uh, ledger, they can make any change they want. And here, here's an example. In, 2020 where there was a uh, proposal that the ripple opposed um, and that still passed regarding check writing on it and it's like okay sure that you you chose not to flex at that point but you own 51 percent of xrp to this day at, at any point you do have complete control over the uh, ripple led on the xrp ledger um, whether you choose to actually use that or not it is is irrelevant as far as the legal analysis goes. It's the same thing for partners tests on whether you have a general partnership. Um, the right, the ability to control is sufficient. You don't have to actually use your, your control on that. So I don't really, I think that's just a bad fact for them is that at this point, they still have, if they really want to, 
they have complete and unfettered control over the Ripple ledger. There's they're the XRP ledger. I'm sorry, I keep on saying Ripple. The XRP ledger. Um, and just the fact that they haven't they haven't done that yet, you still have the security out there as a holder to say, hey, if someone comes along and wants to make a change that's so outlandish is gonna completely ruin this. We we have we can we can trust that this person is going to step in that this this manager is going to be able to step in and stop that, and that that's where that argument kind of falls apart for me is that Ripple's not decentralized. It, I mean, it, they they allow people to act. They act. They acts as decentralized. They haven't really stepped in in a meaningful way in a in a in a period that hasn't been uh, voted on with approval by the community and without their uh, support. But and they've had they they put put together DAO proposals that have been rejected and they've accepted those rejections so far, but it's still not centralized. It's still one person owns 51%. Yeah. I saw you made that comment in your thread that we put up in the nest and it was an interesting observation and it does give the SEC a compelling argument to make that it is, it is more or less closely held and managed and not as decentralized I guess the equivalent would be if you were to say that Vitalik owned 51% of ETH and he could get up tomorrow morning and decide to change uh, the way the token uh, interacts with, with others on the blockchain because there would be no need for any other consensus. He could, he could essentially orchestrate that attack sort of on his own without any, any need for any consensus on anybody's behalf. Yeah, yeah, you could make the but the ETH Foundation and Vitalik own like five percent or ten percent. They own like exactly, a, exactly, exceedingly minimal. Is, so that's why is, they have that argument going for them on decentralization. Could you help me understand? Wouldn't the analysis be at the initial sale, and that be the what the case is about with the SEC, like the bad actions? So no matter what happens later, or does it kind of is there a safe harbor? Is there a time period? Yeah, no, you're you're right. It's it's individual sales that you have to prove. But they they bring that up in the briefing. The fact that the SEC really hasn't met their burden on lots of these individual sales. Like so, for example, a sale from uh, one of the foreign uh, uh, leaders of Ripple to a foreign individual on Coinbase wouldn't be a security. Like that can't that individual sale cannot be a part of the. Uh, strict liability because that doesn't that doesn't fall under there and they 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 uh, ripple pulls a little shot saying if you if the court holds that these sales were securities and all these other individuals who bought on coinbase or elsewhere and then sold again they would also be uh doing the sales of unregistered securities and be held liable and the sc has come back and said, well, no, those, those small individuals would fall under an exception. You don't have to worry about that. Um, no, nothing to see here. And Ripple's come back in the briefing and said, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a small comfort for all these individuals to say, oh, well, maybe if the SEC comes after you, then you probably fit under exceptions. So you're probably good. Like, that's not really much of a comfort. Interesting. Anybody else in the house have any thoughts on this motion and where this is going? Of course, you're Thanks always a lot, welcome. Man. That's really good yeah. info. Really good. Outstanding. Info. Outstanding. I, I mean, this one's definitely one to share because uh, amazing breakdown of where the case is at in litigation and what the prevailing arguments are on both sides. 
So kudos to you, Birdnalls, for breaking it down. Anybody out there have any thoughts to share on this? I see lots of love directed at Birdnalls, but I don't see anybody uh, interested in coming at him with any counterpoints on this. I think you 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 mic dropped it, Birdnalls. <laughs> I try, like I said, I think Thanks, I said man. in my post. I try and come at this as objectively as possible and read it. Obviously, I want Ripple to win. Ripple does great. For, if Ripple wins, and my bags are great, and my my clients are happy, and everybody, I'm, I love it. But I, I just coming at it objectively, I think there are good points being made by both sides. Honestly, right. Well, we just let up Channing. Channing, you'd like to uh, share your thoughts on what you think about this Ripple case? Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, I really appreciate uh, all three of you with the uh, the information and the uh, legal guidance uh, provided. Uh, what are your thoughts, uh, Bert? Nails? I just had a question on you know in regards to uh, Joseph Lubin with the Ethereum Foundation and some of his comments that he made. Uh, you know that were you know rather uh, derogatory in regards to Ripple and the way that they uh, dispense uh, uh, the XRP. Yeah, I don't know the exact comments you're going for, but I know that there have been some back and forth between uh, uh, people in the Ethereum Foundation and and Ripple supporters. Kind of the Ethereum Foundation being like they feel like Ripple is throwing them under the bus, saying, "Hey, if we're security, and look at these other people, they should also be securities." And kind of like, "Hey, man, don't don't throw me under the bus. Like, you do your thing, I'm doing mine." So I know there's been some back and forth between the two. I don't really take any kind of credence to that because I don't. They're not legally significant. There's obviously they only getting their information from their attorneys. Both sides are uh, on on where what what their actions constitute, whether they constitute securities or not, um, and sales of securities or not. So I mean, I just think that is as general business back and forth you'd it's just more because we're degens and we see it on twitter um we get more access to that than the same kind of situation happening if if exxon was being sued and they and they uh threw bp under the bus in some kind of statement i'm sure those ceos would be having conversations as well about that thank you thank you yeah i'm sorry you had a follow-up uh yes uh, i'm sorry if i'm talking too long um not uh, at all. No, no problem. Yeah, um, yeah. Just a question. Uh, well, actually, I have to leave. I'm sorry. But thank you. <laughs> I understand. Thank you. Um, you know, the the sad part about this too is that you have this underlying protocol with this X, XRP exchange, which, you know, when it came out was very innovative and and allowed for very very quick processing of transactions and you you have to wonder if all this litigation has bogged down the progress of that underlying software protocol and what could have been built over it and you know again it just points to the the crossroad of where over regulation inhibits innovation Like, where would that protocol be right now if it wasn't bogged down in this long, long, drawn-out lawsuit? Um, what do you think about that, Bernals? Yeah, I mean, 
I get, I definitely get that argument. And I, I don't think there's, I think there definitely is that argument to be made. But also, I think that what Ripple's trying to do as far as uh, transactions, especially international transactions, they don't need a public blockchain to do that. They don't really need XRP to do that. Like you burn like one one hundredth of a millionth XRP as a part of that transaction fee. So it's not really super necessary for someone to own uh, Ripple for you to use the Ripple network. So they could have they could have chosen to do the exact same uh, transaction technology um, and license the banks and users and anybody else and then just not sold XRP, like the blockchain, they could have still used blockchain tech without without the sale of XRP, um, but they chose not to do it that way, just whether whether that's right or wrong, whatever, but um, they that's the way they chose to do it. So you're, you're gonna run into those issues when you choose to do something that is groundbreaking and unique and, and, and revolutionary in a way that you're doing things as opposed to doing something that could have been done, maybe not as effectively, but could have been done in a more traditional route. Is this is an ignorant question on my part because I don't I don't have any interest in XRP. I don't own any. Is it tradable right now, Bernals? Yeah, I think the only place you can't trade are U.S. exchanges, but anywhere else you can still trade it. So theoretically, the the XRP founder could divest themselves of that fifty one percent holding. Although that would essentially be bootstrapping at this point and wouldn't probably do much to help their cause. Yeah. And just to be clear, the Ripple, the company, owns 51 or 52% right now. The founders also have some, some stake. The current CEO, current board members also have a non insignificant stake as well that started off as 20%. Obviously, a lot of them sold a lot of that to, to fund, their, fund their lifestyle. And that's how they got paid initially for lots of that was through that uh, XRP. So that's not all there, but the, the Ripple, the company is the one that owns uh, the 51 or 52% stake to this day that, yeah, they could sell. Um, I think the only thing that prevents them is they said they always control 25%. So they, they have to make that 25, 26% last, I would guess, is the, is the holdback. And also the like I said, the remaining control. Interesting. Well, I mean, you, you've done an amazing job. I don't see any other follow-up questions on this. Um, Jenko, anything to add before we close out for today and, and, and call it a day for Lawline? No, man, I really appreciate that, Bernals. That's a fascinating way you broke it down, and, and you can see both sides. It's, it's very interesting, very interesting. Absolutely. And I, I love when we when we do it this way, Jenko, that we bring on lawyers who've taken the time to to break down complex cases that are happening in the space, who have thoughtfully looked at them and are able to you know, present them in a way that 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 the, the non lawyers can understand and also give value to the lawyers in the space who may not have time to to look at these pleadings as closely. So. Um, I hope we can do more of this. I know there's obviously several executive orders that need to be digested and discussed and uh, a litany of other things that are happening in the space. So we will continue to try and bring on lawyers to do this very thing in the future. Birdnalls, thank you to all the lawyers who joined us. Thank you, Jenko, as always. Pleasure to co-host with you. 
and we'll get back at it again tomorrow, gang. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, guys.